morning. Good morning. Welcome to Faith Christian Fellowship this Lord's Day morning. They say it's, the warm, it's been the warmest week of the whole year. Very hot, very hot. Um, one, 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 an addendum to, the, to what Kelly said. Because of August 4th, we're going to be profiling the, um, the Summer of Faith and our worship. August Communion will be the second Sunday, August 11th. Make note of that. August Communion will be the second Sunday. Not, we're not going to jam-pack that service with Communion. So that'll be a, the change that we'll be doing. So be, take note of that. Be alert. We'll have Communion the second Sunday of August, not the first Sunday, which is our monthly norm. Well, we're in a sermon series that Pastor J.B. kicked off last week called Faith Foundations. Faith Foundations. We're going to walk through the book of 1 John, the little letter in the New Testament uh, written by John, the apostle, the Lord's uh, servant, the Lord's disciple, the beloved disciple. Last week, Pastor J.B. talked about the priority of Christ, the person of Christ, the priority of the person of Christ. Today, we're going to talk about the power of the work of the person of Christ, the power of Christ and what it does, how it works uh, in our lives in a practical way in our heart. Um, we'll see that the completed work of Christ does something. It, it puts us in a relationship with God, in fellowship, relationship with God. Uh, the title today is Walking in the Light, Walking in the Light. And all, all who can, please, please stand as we listen to, to God's word. I'm going to read from 1 John 1. Verse 5 to the second chapter, verse 2. Okay? ESV. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen. God's word. You may be seated. Let me pray. Let me pray. Lord, a powerful passage. I pray that I would do justice as we, as we proclaim this passage, that we would understand what it means to know you, to have fellowship with you, a holy God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Question, as you heard the passage, why, why all that, this talk about sin in this passage? Nine times in eight verses we have the word sin or sinned, and, uh, and, uh, and then it talks about unrighteousness as well and darkness as well. Why all this focusing on negative stuff. Didn't Jesus come to die for our sins? Let's put it behind us, right? If we've trusted in him for forgiveness, are our sins completely gone? Well, yes. But, <laughs> but, John wants us to understand these things a little more deeply. The relationship that is established by the gospel is a relationship between a holy God and unholy people. 
that only unholy people, yes, we have a new record. And our record is that we are sinless. But sin is still an issue that has to be addressed. And when a child is born, you know, he enters a new situation. He has new life. He's born. But he still needs to grow. When we come to Christ, when we're born again, we have spiritual life. We have a new situation. But we still need to grow. An important part of the spiritual growth for the believer involves understanding and addressing the sin issues in our lives. So he begins with the person of Christ, and now he's going to talk about the power of the person of Christ in our lives. And today we're going to talk about the good news of the gospel. We who are unholy, we who are dark and sinful, can still have a relationship. We can still have fellowship with the God who is light, perfect light, perfect holiness, we can have a relationship with the Holy God. That's the gospel, and that's what John wants to drive home to us in this passage. We, we, we who have walked in darkness can be united to him who is perfect light. Amazing truth. Now, John, the apostle, the friend of Jesus, he loves to use words of great contrast. We're going to see that as we go through this book in the next couple of months. He's going to talk about life and death, salvation and judgment, Saying versus walking, acknowledging sin versus uh, not hiding your sins, Uh, being lovers of God versus being lovers of this world, loving your brother or hating your brother. And today we're talking about light and dark, walking in the light, walking in darkness. John doesn't have a lot of nuance with his words, you're going to see as we go through this book. The Apostle Paul often would take seven, eight verses to, to explain something. John does it in one verse. <laughs> he just gets to it. You know, he remember he was called the son of thunder before Jesus got a hold of him. He never, he's still the son of thunder. <laughs> He'll blast you. He's going to blast you in this book. He's going to say some strong things in his book. Now, to get a running start, last week J.B. talked about the, the couple of words I want to pull out, verses three and four. One word is fellowship. Fellowship, this is a relationship. The relationship that we have, partnership, the shared experience of eternal life that Jesus brings to our lives when we believe. Fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. And the ultimate intention and purpose of this gospel is to produce a fellowship of joy. And that's the other word in verse 4. Joy. Joy for the one who believes. Joy for other believers as we fellowship together. Joy for God. Joy for the holy angels who rejoice when one comes to Christ, according to Luke chapter 15. The only one not experiencing joy in this gospel experience is the devil. He ain't happy. And I'm glad that he ain't happy. (laughs) What are we going to do today? We're going to walk through just three basic things in this passage. We're going to look at first walking, and then talking, and then trusting. Walking. Talking and trusting. The, the first thing is there's verses 5 and 6. The reality that we walk with God. We're called to walk with God. The God who is light. Verses 5 and 6. This is the message. God, God is light in his no darkness. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. We're to walk with God. Walking. The light illustration is, is, is here. We talk about that. You know, um, sometimes at night I, I need to get up for various reasons. As you get older, you'll find out what I mean. And when, when you first wake up, the, the room is completely dark. 
After about a minute or two, you can begin to see things in the room. And I was thinking about that as I thought about this idea of darkness, you know? There's dark, and then there's real dark. And I think, I was thinking about in the ancient world, before they had, they could flip a switch and a light would come on, how they, they probably did a lot more walking in darkness than we do in our world. We don't have to walk in darkness that much, but walking in darkness, when you walk in darkness long enough, you can begin to walk and see where you're going, Right? Well, that, that seems to be the situation with people. They're walking in darkness, but it's not that real, real, real dark darkness. It's that kind of darkness where you can look around, right? And so they think they're walking in the light, but they ain't. They're really walking in darkness. And that's what John, that's the illustration I think John has in his mind. One commentator, Barker, says this. Light emphasizes especially the splendor and the glory of God, the truthfulness of God, and his purity. So, so, so scripture points to two important things about God, more, more than that, but at least two things that I think are very important in this book of, of 1 John, his truth and his holiness, God's truth and God's holiness. And, and again, John is summarizing the message of, of the gospel. It begins with that God is light. That's the message, he says. So why is that so important? Remember in the gospel of John, in chapter 7 and 8 and 9, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. God is light. Jesus is on light. Why? Because Jesus is God. That's why. He's the son of the living God. God before us, the one who's become flesh and dwelt among us. Light. So, so in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we see a verse that talks about the idea of, 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 the, of light being truth. That whole passage does. But chapter 4, verse 4, 2 Corinthians, uh, talking about some people. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. The, the unbelievers, are in, they, they don't see the light. They don't see the truth of the gospel. Ephesians 5, the, the passage that we read earlier, talks about this moral light, this, this, this virtue, pure, purity. Uh, 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 at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right. And true. So there's, a, there's a, a darkness, a natural darkness, which is ignorance of truth, and, it, 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 and it's a lack of, of holiness, a lack of virtue, lack of, of doing right and doing good. Now, the human problem, the human dilemma is simply this. God is light. God has no darkness at all, but we do. Does anybody disagree with that? John's assumption... His assumptions are startling to some people, but I hope not to you. Many people don't seem to have a clue about what God says in his word about the human condition. Many people sadly have decided that parts of the Bible that are the tough parts must not really be the word of God for us. So we ignore what it clearly says or we distort what it says as, oh, it must be unclear. But what it says is true, and what it says is true about us. See, the popular notion is that God is all-loving and is all-kind and never judgmental, that God accepts everybody doing and believing anything regardless of anything. He is God. It's his business to ignore sins and forgive sins. So sin is not the issue at all for anybody. 
Yet you come to church and hear that word. If you come to a church that believes that God has spoken to us. The, 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 the great late theologian Francis Schaeffer once said, I heard him say this once, that if you have 60 minutes to talk to somebody about the gospel, you ought to, you, you, because of our assumptions about God and man, we have to spend 45 minutes to just explain God. He says, because we have very high view of man and very low view of God. You know, we, need to, we need to spend most of our time talking to, giving people an understanding of who God is. And that our problem isn't just that we make a few mistakes every now and then. We have a major problem that Christ came to solve. God is light. We are not. So in, in 1 John, John's going to cycle back to, to four basic things that I think are going to, in his mind, going to characterize what it means to walk in the light. To walk in the light. Believing in Jesus as the incarnate Son of God, the God-man. This is in contrast to the heresy that was brewing that caused some in that first church to leave the body. Second, confessing sin to one another, to God and one another. Confession of sin is walking in the light. Third, seeking to walk righteously, seeking to walk as Jesus walked. He'll talk about several times. And fourthly, loving one another. Love because God is love. He who loves is born of God and knows God. Walking, walking in the light. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is talking. Okay, the, the passage, okay? If you look at the passage and you heard the passage, there's some if statements. If we say, there's several if statements. And this fa- the passage is structured around um, um, uh, three if we say statements. Verse six, if we say we have fellowship with him, walk in darkness. Verse eight, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, truth's not in us. Verse 10, if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar. That's the structure of, how, of what John's doing. He said, it's an, a claim and then an answer to the claim. That's what he's doing here. I'm going to look at the three claims, then we'll look at his answer, which his answer to each of the claims is really the same. So we'll look at all those together. Now, now the first one is, is claim number one is, is verses six and seven. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Like I said, John's tough. John will say, no, you're lying. Very subtle, isn't he? No. <laughs> he just comes right out there. John Stott says this first claim is the denial that sin breaks our fellowship with God. Okay. See, we have fellowship with God, who's pure light, and yet their life doesn't reflect the light at all, you see. John's assumption is that fellowship with the light has the power to transform one's life. That's the assumption. People who talk like this have, 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 this, have answered, there's a message that says you can believe in Jesus without repenting. That's, what, that's their conclusion. You can believe in Jesus without repenting, without following Jesus, without uh, uh, desiring a heart that loves Jesus, without having a heart that wants to be transformed. This is mere mental agreement to some facts, not real true repentance to a person of Jesus Christ, the person of Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about cheap grace in his cost of discipleship. That's what this is. It's a, it's a cheap grace, a grace that, that says, I believe with my head, and that's all I have to do. Those with this claim, they say, well, I, yes, my life looks like darkness, but I really am light. And, and they would call themselves, I'm just a Christian that's carnal. I'm a carnal Christian, distorting what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
So in verse 6, a strong word from John, you're lying. You don't, you're not practicing the truth. This recalls the very sobering lyric from the great theologians of our past, the Negroes who wrote the spirituals, saying, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. This is, this is, this is what John's doing here. That's what he's saying. There are people who, who, who claim to walk with, in the fellowship with God in life, but their life doesn't look like it. They're walking in darkness. That's the first, the first group. The second claim, verse 8, we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. We have no sin, no internal drive. Now, Stott says this denial that sin exists in our nature, a, a, a denial that we already have a sinful nature, no, no drive that, that caused us to disobey the Lord. This group is saying that because we have trusted in Christ, we no longer have the capacity to do wrong, really. Jesus in our lives causes us to be without sin. They're saying that the Holy Spirit not only rules our heart, but destroys the old nature in us. So the fight is over when we get saved. There's no internal battle because when Jesus comes to the heart, he's perfect, you're perfect. Is that what happened to you when you got saved? Ain't what happened to me. I don't think so. The battle in one sense starts for real when you get saved. Amen? That surprises many people when they come to Christ. Maybe they, were, they, 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 they received some false promises that all was going to be well when they came to Christ. I love the way the old, our old confession, the Westminster Confession of Faith, um, you know, these old documents, they have some great stuff for us if we would just listen to them. In a modern version of, of the confession in the chapter 13 on sanctification, growth and holiness, listen to what, 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 is the old, um, what they said. Three, three, chapters, three paragraphs here. After God has called us and given us new hearts and spirits, he sanctifies us. He does this in a real and personal way through Christ's death and resurrection and by his word and Holy Spirit living in us. Sanctification means that God is destroying the rule of sin in our lives. He weakens our sinful lusts more and more and puts them to death. He makes us more and more alive and makes us strong in the grace that saves us and leads to true holiness. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's from Hebrews. Although God sanctifies each part of our being in this life, we'll never be perfect. There will always be some remnants of rottenness in every, one, every part of us. This leads to an ongoing war between two sides that will never make peace. Our flesh fighting against the spirit and the spirit fighting against our flesh. In this war, our remaining rottenness might get the better of us for time. But by the strength of the spirit that sanctifies our born-again nature will win in the end, and so we grow in grace, perfecting our wholeness as we fear God. You know, I couldn't have said it better, that's why I read it. That's great stuff there. There's a war going on in our hearts, folks, and I know you know you fight that battle every hour of the day. Your inner man becomes more aware of the internal struggle that takes place, and you feel even less holy sometimes when you first come to Christ. Because the Spirit of God is bringing conviction. That's his rule. That's his job. 
But no, you're just starting to realize just how unholy you are. And that's a good thing because it drives you to Christ. Amen? See, sin is idolatry. It's, 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 it's not worshiping the true living God, but it's worshiping all those things and, 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 and the things that we create, the things that we think are worth giving our allegiance to. Sin is idolatry. In fact, that this book ends in an interesting way, the, the book of 1 John. The last thing he says is, little children, beware of idols. And then he stops. I'm sure we'll get to that. J.B. will get to that in a few weeks. <laughs> it's an idolatry. Sin is idolatry. So, sin is thoughts, and sin is words, and sin is our deeds that are contrary to God's will. Sin is things that we commit, and things that we should commit but we don't do. The sense of omission. Sin is things that we intentionally do and things that are unintentional. If you, look, if you read your Old Testament, there's a whole, there's a whole in Leviticus, there's provision sacrifices for unintentional sins. Have you ever, never noticed that? Sometimes we sin, we, don't, we didn't intend to do it, but we did it. We hurt people. Sin is personal and sin is corporate. Sin is very complex. Sin is very universal. Sin is deadly. And sin is something that on this side of glory, the believer will always have to wrestle with sin. In, in chapter 7 of Romans, Paul is wrestling with sin. Chapter 7 of Romans, read that. The struggle in his heart. What's wrong with me, he says, wretched man that I am. I know what I should be doing, but I don't always do it. Things I know I shouldn't do, I'm, I'm doing them. What's wrong with me? Wretched man that I am, Paul says. Is that your story? It's my story sometimes. I know what to do sometimes. I don't do it. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy 1, uh, Paul says, and this is late in his life, late in his ministry, one of his last letters, Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. Often people look at that and think he's talking about before he became to Christ and he was killing Christians and all that. He says, I am, present tense, the chief of sinners. Because he's mature in his faith. Mature saints have problems. The war never ends this side of glory. Remember Moses? Saint of God. Wrote the Bible. Part of it. He's a murderer. Remember Jonah? Prophet of God. Used by God. He's a racist. Remember David? The adulterer. Murderer. We're in a battle, folks. Sometimes we lose the battle. But as a settled pattern of our life, we should reflect the glory of God in our lives. But sometimes we lose those battles. The third claim, false claim, is in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. This, this claim is saying that we're no longer sinning. That's what it's saying. We don't, we don't sin anymore. Yes, sin is a reality. Yes, sin is a reality. But we've overcome that propensity to sin. We're, we're mature. We're perfected. We're sanctified. We've arrived. We have defeated sin. We acknowledge that sin exists, but praise God, not in us. <laughs> we're victorious. We've reached that point. Um, the point of perfection. You know, um, a few weeks ago, I had a, a shirt. It was a white shirt. 
and ate some food, put some hot sauce on it, splattered a little bit, got, a little, got some cold water. They say you do it quickly. I didn't do it that quickly. But, and I thought it was clean. So the next time I put the shirt on, and I saw there were still a couple spots. But you know, I didn't see those spots until I went to the restroom and got the bright light where I could see more clearly that what I thought was clean was still stained. Brothers and sisters, that's what happens when we come to Christ. The closer we get to the light, the closer we get to Christ, the more we see who he is and, and, and what he's done and what he means for us, the closer to him we get, the more stains in ourselves we see. That's what happens as we grow in grace. The closer you get, the more blemishes you see. By the way, every pre-marriage counselor curriculum needs to understand that point. The closer you get to that loved one, the more blemishes you see in each other. Can I get an amen for the married people? Amen. Except my wife. My wife better not say amen. <laughs> All right. Imaginary conversation between myself and Cole Miller, one of the youth. Cole, Pastor Sand, do you like basketball? Pastor Sand, no, Cole, I love basketball. It's my favorite sport. Cole, okay, Pastor Stand, can you dunk the ball? Now, the dunking, for those of you who don't know, is when you are tall enough and you can, you can put it down, you don't have to, you just put it down, you can jump like, like that. Pastor Stan, sure. <laughs> Cole, really? Okay, let me see you do it. So I bounce the ball and go up to the backboard, and I bounce it off the backboard, and, I, and, and it goes in. Two points. He says, that's a layup. That's not a dunk shot. <laughs> and I say, nope. Who defines things? I consider what I shot to be a dunk shot, not a layup. As far as I'm concerned, that was a dunk shot. I get to define what my shot is called, not you, Cole. What have I done? I have redefined an objective standard. Let me say that again. I have redefined an objective standard. Some of you know, before Michael Jordan, there was a guy named Julius Irving. Who knows, who remembers Julius Irving? Remember him, basketball player? Um, so if you're not as old as me, you don't remember him. Back in the day, you know, he was there. His athletic dunks amazed us all. Now, one of the fellows in my neighborhood, uh, Kippy Porner, his, he was a PK. His son, his dad was a preacher, still is a preacher. And he, uh, Kippy was kind of short. So his dad, um, Reverend Porner, put a hoop in his backyard um, that was not the regulation 10-foot hoop, but a 9-foot hoop, okay? Um, so that, you know, Kippy could make it every now and then, Okay. And it was still there. In fact, I passed by it yesterday. I saw it still there. Um, we knew that playing on Kippy's hoop would destroy our jump shots. <laughs> because it's all muscle memory, right? We knew that. But we liked to play on Kippy's hoop. We went to play like we were Dr. J, right? Because at nine foot, I can dunk it, okay? What were we doing? We were lowering the standard. We were lowering the standard. Friends, this is what we do with God, with his word. We redefine it to make ourselves look good. 
We lower the standards to make ourselves look good. No. John tells us God is light, and we are not. And we got to do something to solve that problem. See, some people, they, they see godliness as simple, you know, staying away from the dirty dozen or the nasty nine. Outward conformity. It's more than that. It's more than that. Sin goes beyond that. It's deep. And so does holiness. And what is the answer? What is the answer? The answer is the, answer is the gospel of Christ. Christ who has come. Christ who has come, lived a perfect life for us, died on a cross for us. That is God's solution to this problem of sin. Not to ignore it, minimize it, change the standard, redefine it. To call sin, sin, and thank God that Jesus came to die for sin. And so he says, verse 7, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen. The blood of his son, his atoning death, it points to the mercy seat where the wrath of God was satisfied in the Old Testament. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess is a compound word in the Greek language to speak the same. It means to agree with God, to, say, to agree with what God says, to speak the same thing God says about who we are, about our sin, and about Christ. It, it's, it, it, it's to not rationalize or redefine or lower the standards, but to agree that what God says about me and my behavior and my heart is correct. It's also, there's also an, an element of honestly agreeing with others about ourselves, not hiding from others as if we have it all together. Remember in the garden how Adam and Eve covered themselves after they broke fellowship with God? They didn't just break fellowship with God, they covered themselves. Something happened on the horizontal plane. Their sin affected not only their relationship with God, but their relationship with one another. And that is still true, brothers and sisters. We should not cover, we should confess. Verse 9, he, 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 he is faithful. That means he's dependable. Every time we, we in our brokenness, call upon him, he, he forgives us. He's just. He's faithful and he's just. He's able to, to forgive us because his justice is satisfied on the cross by his son, Jesus Christ. The demands of holiness were satisfied at Calvary. To forgive us. We ask for forgiveness for sins, he forgives us. And then it says... I like this part, and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. This is the great part. You ask God to forgive you of sins, the sins that you know of, but the sins you don't know about. But all those unrighteousness. You see, you're, 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 in, a, you're, in, a, you're in a place where God is forgiving you. Even all, all your unrighteousness, he, he forgives you because Christ has died for the sins you know and the sins you do you don't know. It's a wonder of the gospel. My, verse 1 of chapter 2, my little children, I'm writing these things to you Though you may not sin. So, so John's been talking a lot about sin. He says, look, I'm telling you that you know, you're all sinners, and, and we're all sinners, and we need Christ, and, and this is what we do when we sin. He says, but I'm not encouraging you to sin. <laughs> he says, I'm not doing this because I, I want you to sin. He says, no, no, no. God doesn't want us to sin. But he says, if anyone does sin, and we all will, we have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ, the righteous, the righteous one. He's a propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Advocate is a defense attorney, one who, who, who pleads our case to the, to the judge. Jesus Christ, when we sin, <laughs> Christ and, 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 and the, the, the uh, plea, we were guilty, that's the verdict. Our advocate goes before the father, before the judge, and says, that sin was already paid for. He's our advocate. He's a defense lawyer. But not only is he the defense lawyer, he's the one who paid the price. He's our propitiation. He's the one who paid the price himself, verse 2. He is a propitiation is about the wrath of God being satisfied. And it says he's the propitiation, not, not, not just for us, but for all the world. Look, there's only one God who's come to this earth. It's, it's the person of Jesus Christ. And there's only one effective propitiation to solve mankind's dilemma. It was true in that day and to the audience of John and probably in Ephesians, in the first, Ephesus in the first century. And it's still true in the 20th century, way far from Ephesus in America, in Baltimore. There is only one propitiation for a lost world, the blood of Christ. Well, the last thing that I want to talk about is just trusting. Trusting. There's a couple of practical ways to deepen our trust as we seek to walk in the light as he's in the light. Trust three things. Trust the power of the Spirit of Christ, the power of the Spirit. When we come to Christ, his Spirit begins to indwell our hearts. Philippians 2, great passage. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It is God who works in you. There it is, by the Spirit of God. God works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You can shine as a light because he who is light dwells within you. As you work out to salvation. Someone that says you will never be sinless, but you should sin less. The warfare will not end until you meet Jesus. So, so John will tell us in chapter 3, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Great promise in, in chapter 3. Trust the power of the Spirit of God in our lives to purify our hearts. Second, trust the power of the body of Christ, the power of the body of Christ, where we find fellowship and public worship and discipline. Now, one thing I haven't pointed out in this passage is the pronouns of this passage. It's very interesting. There's a lot of we. There's a lot of they. There's not a lot of I in this passage. Our Western individuals can miss that. We can miss that. The Christian life, the... Christian sanctification is lived out in the context of Christian community. Trust the power of the body of Christ. You know, our worship service, we talk a lot about sin. That's unusual in our world today, but we do it. We do it because we think that's what the scriptures call us to do. It surprises some people. It angers some people. But it brings joy to the ears of God, I believe, that, that we, someone recognizes that sin is a problem, that God is light and we are not. When he sees his children recognizing this, these basic truths, 
that we can only run to the throne of grace because Jesus has died for us. Only by grace can we enter in. Only by grace can we stand. God is light. For us to walk with the God who is light, we would be absolutely impossible to do that apart from the Lord Jesus and his death for us. You know, when, 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 you, when you're not among the body, see, sometimes you have, when, when you're weak, your faith is weak. Sometimes you, when, you're, when you're with the body of Christ, it's, there's a strengthening that happens. You know, when, when we're here and, and you're feeling down about yourself, maybe you've done something and there's the time of worship and someone breaks out into, it is well with my soul. And that just goes deeper in your heart. And you're reminded of the gospel. That, yeah, you've had a hard week. But Jesus still loves you. It is well. It is well with your soul. See, if you're by yourself, you may not get that. Trust the body. The third thing to trust is trust the blood. <laughs> trust the blood of Christ. There's power, power, wonder, working power, as we're saying. Jesus Christ is our high priest, and he is a sacrifice slain for sinners. Take up your cross, he said, daily and follow me. We need to think about the cross daily. Think about the blood of Christ daily because we sin daily. Confess your sins to God. Don't wait for Sundays and don't wait for church. Do it. One thing I try to do at night when I fall asleep, sometimes I'm so tired I just fall asleep and don't do this, but here's what I try to do. I try to think of two things that day. Two things that I try to think through and pray before I go to sleep. Lord, is there anything I need to confess from this day? And I think I confess it and thank God for his blood, the blood of his son. And the other thing is, Lord, what did I accomplish today for you? How did I spread the light? Your light. We are walking in the light. We are trusting the spirit of Christ, trusting the body of, of Christ, and trusting in the blood of Christ. Uh, last month was uh, my, my youngest son, James, uh, and Kate got married. There's a picture of them as they walked back down the aisle after their marriage. Wonderful time, my youngest. Um, she's Mennonite, and next slide. Um, one of the Mennonite the things the Mennonites do that they wanted in their, in their marriage ceremony was a foot washing ceremony. They washed each other's feet. And they washed the feet, and then they read each other's vows. It was, it was, it was unique, wonderful time to see that, well, James and Kate. You may not know that the foot washing tradition of the Mennonites comes from John chapter 13. John 13. There, Jesus washed the feet of the disciples the night before he died, before the Last Supper, during the Last Supper uh, scene. They, they would have sandals. Their feet would get dirty from walking through the Judean uh, um, countryside. The slaves would normally be the ones who would wash the feet. But none of them wanted to do the dirty job of a slave. It's a dirty, messy job, right? So they're talk, thinking about who's the greatest. And Jesus, you know, Jesus just washed their feet. They began to be embarrassed because he's the one who stepped up to serve. And when it came Peter's time... He was going to wash Peter's feet. Peter said, no, Lord, no, no, no. Jesus says to Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no share or no part or no relationship with me. He's saying, he's saying Peter, something about our relationship means that I, you have to allow me to wash your feet. Peter says, okay. Then 
don't just wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my head, give me a bath. Okay, you're the ones going to clean people up. You can, I need to be cleaned up. Give me, a, give me a whole bath, Lord. And Jesus says this, Peter, you already had your bath, meaning you've already been cleansed. You've already been cleansed. You've already been born again. You've already been saved. You've already had your bath. You only need to have your feet washed. You're ready for heaven. But as you walk through this dirty world, your feet get dirty. So you need to have your feet cleaned. John watched that encounter. He says, if we say we have no sin, we're liars. But the blood of Jesus, our advocate, our sacrifice, is sufficient to clean us up and to fit us for heaven. And that's the gospel. But as we are, as gospel people walk in the world, we need to have our feet cleaned. And he says, the blood of Christ gives a provision to clean our feet. Walk, saints, walk in the light. God is holy, we're not. But the Lord Jesus has cleaned us up. So walk on and walk joyfully, not in fear, because you have been bathed by the word of Christ. Walk on carefully. The Spirit of God wants to say things to you, to improve you, to, to, to mold you, inform you, and use you in better ways. Walk prayerfully, because Christ is with you and you commune with him. Walk on. Walk in the light. And when you do, others will see your good works and give glory to your Father. And that's what we want to see happen anyway. Let's pray. Lord, you call us to walk with you, to walk with one who is light. We're not, but you've satisfied that problem by your death on the cross. How we thank you for that, Lord. Lord, I pray for anyone here who has never trusted in you and thinks that, that well, they don't have to worry about sin. No, sin is a big issue, and, and we know it deep down. But you have come that we might have eternal forgiveness and eternal joy and eternal peace through what your son did on the cross. Lord, may, may that truth sink deep in our hearts that we might be your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's, let's stand to sing as a closing song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. <laughs>